Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter, and we're entering to chapter 4. There's just uh, four or five more le- uh, messages on 1 Peter, and we're going to be dealing with a, a familiar theme. In fact, uh, in many ways, uh, Mark introduced that as we think about life, life happens, doesn't it? And those things that we want to avoid in our life happens in our life. And when we go through difficult times, it's, it's hard to be filled with hope. It's hard to be filled with confidence that God is in control. It's hard to be filled with the anticipation of what God is going to do next. And we're so, we're so overwhelmed by what's happening now. And, and so as we think about that, Peter, Peter often repeats a theme over and over and over again because he knows we need to, to recognize that we can consider it all joy even when we encounter various things in our life that we wish didn't happen or won't happen. I was reading... Um, just this past week of an individual that I've read about before, and it was found in a devotional written by John Piper, and it begins this way. Uh, Viktor Frankl was imprisoned in the Nazi concentration camps of Auschwitz and Dachau during the Second World War. As a Jewish professor of neurology and psychiatry, he became world-renowned for his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which sold over 8 million copies. In it, he unfolds the essence of his philosophy that came to be called logotherapy, namely that the most fundamental human motive is to find meaning in life. He observed the horrors of the concentration camps that can endure almost any how of life. And how am I going to get through this? How am I going to make it? How am I going to overcome this? And he says, if that's all you've got going for you when things go badly, horrifically, you might not survive. He goes on and says, it's not the how, it's the why. Uh, This quote has stirred me recently, as John Piper writes, uh, to remember what he wrote specifically. I'm absolutely convinced that the gas changers of Auschwitz, uh, Treblinka, and Matanek were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or or other in Berlin. It wasn't the the powers that be that came up with this kind of philosophy of what they ought to do to people during their uh, quest of conquering the entire world, but rather at the desk and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. In other words, ideas have consequences. Once you buy a idea or concept or thought or what some people are presenting as truth, it will change everything. In fact, he goes on to say this, people's behavior, ideas have consequences, good and bad does not come out of nowhere. It comes from prevailing views of reality that take root in the mind and bring forth good or evil. So as we really think about it, our, our life is really governed by our choices, and our choices are governed by the things we think in our mind. It's our perception of reality. It is our awareness of what we think uh, we ought to do or not do, and, and what governs the choices that we make. Ideas have consequences. And if there's any book that would... Uh, emphasize that even more than a individual who endured the horrific things of World War II as a Jewish man, it would be this book. And this book is recorded not only for God's chosen people of the Old Testament, the 
the Israelites and all that they went through, uh, but also records for all those who, who want to discover the meaning of life or the why of life and how that can transform everything. Because this book is not written for primarily our information. It's not for you to be prepared for the, the jeopardy question that might come to, to decide whether you win or lose on that particular event. But these truths that transform are for the purpose of giving us a why that will allow us to handle anything that comes our way. And, and we're going to see that again this morning. And one of the things to look at that is that as you think about how God wants to emphasize that, he particularly uses a, a word that is used over and over and over and over again. That really says that now after you've read what you've just read or what you're about to read or after you've just heard what you've heard or about to hear, I, I want you to understand there's a, there's a, there's a challenge now to say, well, what does that now mean in terms of how I ought to live? How, how should that truth transform who I am, why I am, and what I'm now supposed to do. And that one word is the word therefore. And whenever you hear the word therefore or, or read the word therefore, the real challenge is to ask yourself the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And as I was uh, just thinking about that this week, I, I, I came to find out that in the New American Standard translation of the Bible, which is one I particularly prefer using because of its literal translation, um, it's used 1,039 times. Which in case you haven't been following what I'm saying here, as, as we hear truth, these truths that are supposed to transform us, and as we hear about them and read them, read them we need to ask ourselves the question, what, what was that there for? What is that supposed to mean and do in my life because I just read it or heard it? So I thought, you know, on a rainy day, what else do you have to do on a rainy day? That we would take the time, just in my introduction, that we would look up all 1,039 times that it's used. You think I'm kidding, don't you? No. So, now, we're not going to do that. And essentially, Peter uses it quite a few times in his, in his first letter, First Peter he uses it seven times, and in uh, his little letter, Second Peter, he uses it four times. So as he wrote, he wanted people to realize, I'm not just, I'm just not writing for interest's sake. I want you to recognize there's a therefore, because you hear this truth, it ought to change how you ought to live. And some of the verses that we've had you memorize really has the therefore in the text or right next to the text that says, this is, this is not just to appease your pastor who likes you to memorize verses. This is to change our life. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober and fix, in, in, in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace you brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a wordy verse that many of you said, it's too long, I'm not going to try to memorize it. But, you know, in it, in it, it really speaks of it. Because of the goodness of God, because of God's revelation to us, because of all he has said to us, the therefore is, man, let's, let's not be passive in our life. Let's be active. Prepare your minds for action. Be under control. And, and then the how in the why, the why because of all the goodness of God, is now fix your hope on him. It's not the hope in our circumstances. It's not the hope in the world around us. It's our hope in him. And then that little verse that we had you memorize, and some of you took the challenge on that, uh, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. 
But right before verse 2, uh, two in 1 Peter chapter 2 is verse 1. I just want to hope some of you are still listening, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1 says, therefore, get rid of all the stuff that doesn't work in your life and then put something which will work in your life, the truth of God's word, which will, will change you on the inside. And then even the verse that we have for this month, uh, the end of all things is near. Now, we have no idea when Jesus is going to return. We have no idea when you might get in a car and get in a wreck before you get home. We have no idea when you might all of a sudden have a heart condition where they need to put an emergency stint in one of your arteries. We never know when that might happen. You know, it happened to me, but you, know, I, I, you, you don't know what's going to happen. But what he wants us to realize that in a life that we, know, we don't know how long it's going to live, and I don't know how they're going to sing these songs as all these uh, <laughs> musicians are going by us, is that as we think about this, is that, is that if the end of all things is near, if we only have a little time left, let's use it wisely. Isn't that true? I don't, I don't want to waste whatever time I have left. And uh, if the Lord tarries, I, I plan to be around a long time. But who knows? Who knows? And, and one of the things, therefore... Since the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. Think, think wisely. Be of sober spirit. Be under control. One, for the purpose of prayer. Have you ever thought about what's going to be like when we get into eternity? If you're going to the place where God's going to be in the presence of God? Uh, one of the things that we're not going to be doing the, the, the same thing. We're going to be talking with God and the people around, but we're, we're not going to be praying on behalf of people that they would come to know the Lord, right? Because that's already been settled. We're not going to have to be praying for people who are sick to get well, right? Because in heaven, there is going to be no source of sorrow. And when people are struggling and need to be encouraged, we're not going to be doing that in heaven because God's presence will be there. And so whatever impact we have on people's lives, it's going to be now. And one of the things we can do, we're always wondering what kind of gifts we have, what kind of talents we have, what kind of opportunities we have. But is it true? This is a profound thought here. I only give profound thoughts. Can we all pray, right? And so when we're concerned about people, talk to God about people. And then talk to people about God. So we can pray. So in the midst of this, uh, Peter is writing to a group of people that I've said to you many times, uh, things weren't going really well for them. And the reality is, Peter had this clue, uh, probably from the Spirit of God, that it was going to not get better, it was going to get worse. And when things get worse, you can call those kind of things all kinds of word descriptions. It's going to be a trial. It's going to be a test. It's going to be a tribulation. There's the three T's I can give you. Uh, but you can just call it the S word. It, it, there's going to be a time of suffering. And when bad things happen to anybody, whether you consider yourself good or bad, you, you've got to ask yourself not only the question, how am I going to get through this, but why? Why should I even try? I... Uh, I am going to go through the message rather quickly so you can relax, but is that, you know, I, I, a friend of mine that uh, we've been having a great time together and we do a sport together and, and he's going through some really challenges and he, uh, he sent me a t text this week, I'm confused, I'm exhausted, I want to give up, I'm miserable. Now, we've had a relationship for a certain length of time, so he kind of knows who I am. And we all know that people don't, know, don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, I struggle with that all the time, all right? <laughs> and so, so I thought about it. I, I got to be careful before, um, 
you know, I don't just preach a sermon on, on the platform. I preach a sermon people on one-on-one, all right? So, so uh, and he's had some of those, all right? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to empathize with them and sympathize with them. And, and, but in the reality, at the end, I finally said, you know, I know you're exhausted, but you're not too exhausted. I, I, I know that you're confused, but you aren't too confused. I know you, you feel there's, there's no way to get through this, but you can get through this. But what you have to decide in, in your own life, and he knows the Lord, is that are, are you going to decide to go to your source of hope and get hope from him? Or are you just going to wallow in the emotions that are now controlling what you're going to do next? And his response to me was, nobody really likes you, do they? Nobody really likes you. <laughs> you know, some people don't like to hear what you want to say to them. And I, I tried to say it as nicely as possible. And, and really, this is what Peter is saying to us. We, we, we all get to places where we want to give up. We all get to the place where we are just so miserable. We're saying, why should I continue on? And, and put in hope terms, we're, we're looking, I, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, the proverbial joke on that, well, if there is a light at the end of the tunnel, it's the train coming toward me. And, and God is saying, don't give up. Be filled with the hope because your life matters no matter what you're going through and what you do can impact not only your own life, but even more importantly, the lives around you. And so with this as an introduction, what happens in 1 Peter chapter 4 is he begins another section with the word therefore, at least in the New American Standard. For some might be for in as much or whatever other word they might use to translate this little Greek word, which has no significance in the English language. It's a three-letter word, un, un, therefore, and then therefore refers about what he's going to say, but also what he has already said. Therefore, since the one that you have, if you've come to that point in your life where you've embraced Jesus by faith, we need to recognize this one who gave you all kinds of promises, and those are the ones we want to put on our refrigerators, that he's going to, he's going to give us joy, and he's going to give us peace. And, and one of the therefore verses in Romans, therefore, having been justified by God, we have peace with God. We have his joy. We have his peace. We have his presence. We have the promise of not only eternal life, but abundant life. So we have quantity of life. It's going to last forever with him. But it's qualitative life. It's so much better that you didn't have. Your relationship with him makes life so much better than if you didn't have a relationship with him. It's awesome, however, but it's not easy. Is You need to remember that Jesus suffered. Would we all agree? And he suffered so much more than we will ever suffer. And really, when he went through that suffering, and sometimes we will use the why question, trying to get through what we're going through. And usually when difficult things happen to me, I say, why why me, right? I don't care if it's why you, but why me, right? And he said, look, as you think about the whys here, you need to recognize that you could throw that about Jesus. Why did Jesus have to go through what he went through when he created everything around us, and he was sinless. But he did it for the benefit of others. He did it for you and for me. So that his, his suffering would allow us to be saved. 
to be rescued from the, the life that has no purpose, has no meaning, has no great answer to the why question. So as, as you just try to teach those principles clearly and powerfully, he knows that sometimes we need review, right? And, and by the way, if, if, if you, uh, uh, you know, I, I, if you want to know the key to scripture memory, anybody want to know what the key to scripture memory is? All right. There are three principles. The first one is review. The second one is review. And the third one is review. All right. And, and when you think about applying God's word, it, we, need, we need renewal of uh, the principles we've learned in the past. I've forgotten more things than I'll ever remember, right? And sometimes I got to remember this, this, the straightforward principles. And Peter, is, Peter does that with them. I want, I want to remind you of some very simple things. And, and really, when, when you... When you're uh, struggling, why be hopeful when I'm not? Why go th- through the, the effort uh, to do something when I don't feel like it? He said, well, then live by faith. There, there's a reason why God allows these things to happen in your life, if not for your own sake, which does build our character, but it's for the benefit of others as well. And, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Why and what is good what good is it to, to be hopeful, to be filled with the, the confidence that, that God has a plan? There's a why to all this, even though we might not know all the specifics of the why. So let's look at it. We're going to look at six verses rather rapidly, just getting some straightforward principles from the text. So Peter writes, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, and, and this, is the, this is the miracle of uh, who the, to identify who is this Jesus of Nazareth that was here 2,000 years ago? You know, was he just a, a man that was a much better man than the rest of us? Uh, or, or was he some spirit being that people thought was a man but actually wasn't a man? It just looked like he was a man. No, Jesus was, was both fully God and fully man. And when he suffered, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I'm thinking, you know, when Jesus suffered, it probably didn't hurt that much. That's usually what I think. Well, why? Because he could, he could somehow take that pain and throw it away, right? I mean, he could do that miracle. Shake your hand like I'm not the only heretic here, right? You know, I've kind of thought that somehow he was able to go through that and the pain wasn't real pain. You know, my pain's real pain, but his wasn't. But no, he suffered in the flesh in all things like we, we were and have been and are, but without sin. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, in his human flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same pur- purpose. I was reading one author this past week and he said, this, this verb, arm yourself, is kind of the key to this passage. Okay, as we go through life, we need to be prepared for action. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. But what's the action? The action is that we're in a warfare. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Uh, most of the time I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to eat for breakfast today? You know, how am I, you know, what time should I, you know, get some other responsibilities done and how can I w- work my schedule out? Whatever it might be. It's, it's just a busy, busy day. But in the midst of the things on our to-do list, we need to recognize we're all in a spiritual battle. And so we need to be armed for that spiritual battle so that we respond to it in a way that honors God and, and doesn't focus on our own perspective on things that we're going through. Arm yourselves for the same purpose. What was the purpose? To prepare yourself for suffering. Prepare yourself for things not going right. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
Now, if you just isolate that verse, it, it, it might not make a whole lot of sense. In fact, there's a couple ways that people look at this. One is they're saying, look it, he who has suffered uh, means he who has come to that place in their life where they have now identified as a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you're going to go through some suffering that is unique to being a follower of Jesus. And, and, and when you do that, have that real relationship with him, you're going to come to that place in your life where if you don't become sinless, you're going to be sinning, a person who sins less. The Bible says that, he, that Jesus came not only to save us from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. The Holy One lives within us, and when we depend upon him, then he will allow us to over, be overcomers. Now, that's a possibility for this. The other part is even a more, uh, I guess, um, a dark analogy in some ways, is that if, as you think about suffering, all right, the worst thing that ever could happen to you in this physical world is that whatever you're going through will cause you to what? Die, right? I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate suffering that this, this life here ceases. But what he was telling him, he said, well, I want you to realize, and I think there's kind of a blending of both analogies here, is look at, as you go through life and you're thinking, what's, what's you know, this this could end my life or the lives of my family or friends that know the Lord as well. And he said, look at it. As you think about this, as you go through suffering, there's going to come a place when this life is over. Not only is prayer going to be different in heaven, but also our lifestyle. We're not going to what in heaven? We're not going to sin. Sin is going to be obliterated. And so as we think about this, hey, we ultimately can look forward to that which will cause everything that's wrong in this life and all that's wrong in our own life to be done because we will cease to sin we're in the presence of God. Actually, I think there's kind of a dual parallel there. And I think about that because God wants us to realize that we don't have to sin even though he knows we will sin. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you can just write down this reference. John writes... And some amazing things here and, and there is some debate about all the nuances of it but in 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2 listen to this my little children and I've mentioned to you this before is, uh, is you know the Bible doesn't too often call us adults right we sent the children for children's church and children's Sunday school we could have sent all of you right my little children, none of us have grown, grown to that perspective where we know it all and do it all, right? Would you agree with that? Any, anybody, anyone here know it all and do it all? Okay, so he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But then he goes on, and, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, then he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. Which simply say this, look at God's will for us is that we don't any, do anything that displeases him. God's will for our lives is that we live lives that honor who he is. God's will for our lives is that we get rid of the things that mess up our lives and the people around us. But when you do that, you have someone who comes alongside you. And, and, and when you, you're tempted to say, well, how can I be a Christian? I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Really, the indication that you're really a true follower of Jesus is you want to keep doing that. Where you want to start getting fearful is you get so used to doing it that you just, you just accept it. And you pursue it. And you, and you want to live that lifestyle. 
But when you struggle with it, you say, look, I have an advocate for you. I've got a lawyer for you who's going to defend you as being a child of mine because Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. So why be hopeful when you're not hopeful? Why, why live by faith, not by feeling? It's because when you do that, it can keep you from sinning. Because if you have no sense of hope that you're going to be able to do what God wants you to do, you will what? You'll give up, right? And I can tell you story after story of story of people who say, I, I, just, I just can't do it. I, I can't help myself. I, I, I can't make any more steps forward. And when you get to that point, when you give up hope and what God can do in your life, you're, you're going to pursue sin, that which dishonors God. But then he goes on and he continues in this whole train of thought about therefore live a certain way, filled with hope no matter what, filled with the confidence that even your suffering has a purpose. One is that you would not sin. Ultimately, you won't sin when you meet him face to face. And right now, we ought to sin less. He goes on and says in verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh... So I'm talking about living here, no longer for the lust of men, which simply means the desires of your, of your old life and the desires of other people's lives, but for the will of God. Now, I'm not going to re-preach that, though it's always tempting to re-preach my sermon, in case you weren't listening very carefully, is that um, we need to realize, why should we be hopeful that God is still working in our lives, even when things are going wrong? And one, it will keep us from sinning, but secondly, it will motivate, motivate us to to do and be in the will of God. And, and sometimes you, you can look at the Christian life pretty simply and say, what, what, what does God want us to do? He wants us to pursue him and not the world. He wants us to pursue that which is um, holy and not that which is not holy. He wants us not to, he wants us to pursue the Savior, not the sin. And because that's the will of God. And, and what we need to be convinced of is the will of God is good. That familiar passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I, I urge you, therefore, brethren. Some put it this way. I just beg you. I beg you all who have come to that place where you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, which simply because God is so good, and if God is so good, following him makes your life good and gooder and goodest, okay? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So think about that for a moment. When we go through difficult times, one of the things that's going to start doing is working on our mind. And we're saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe this Christian life isn't as good as everybody says it is. Maybe following God's plan isn't, isn't, isn't well, maybe it's, it helps other people, but it sure doesn't help in me. Maybe I ought to take a couple steps back and pursue what else is out there, right? He said, well, no, I want you to understand because God is good his will is good, so do his will. And maybe you've had conversations with people, and if you get in the point where they're honest, I say, well, I know I shouldn't be involved doing that. I know I shouldn't go in that direction, but I, I want to, right? Well, if you're convinced that God's will is better than anything else, then you, you would change your want to, Right? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look at, 
Be hopeful no matter what. Follow God's plan no matter what. No matter what kind of suffering you go through. Because look at the example of Jesus. An example of Jesus is that he went through all that to deal with the sin in our lives. It will keep us from sinning. Secondly, as you do that, it will allow your life to follow after the will of God. Not after the desires of just everybody else in this world. But then he goes on again, just emphasizing this whole train of thought. For the time already, the, for, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Now, one of the reasons some people don't like the, the New American Standard translation, it's, it's pretty just word for word for word. Basically, say, look, at it, this is the time for you to realize it is right now, okay? However you lived in the past, that was the past you need to live in the past. Leave it in the past. For the time already past is sufficient for you to, be, to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles there is a euphemism to saying all those who, who haven't known God. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and an abominable idolatries. Well, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty specific list of, of sins that seem pretty destructive. So look at, look at, why go back to that? I mean, that didn't help you then. It's not going to help you now. It's not going to help you later. You're, that time should be over. And for sometimes when, when, when Christians read that text, they say, hey, I feel pretty good because I haven't been done that. I haven't done that for at least a few days, all right? Is that I haven't got involved in that. But we need to recognize that there are some other lists that really talk about, in one I'll talk about here, idolatries. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 through 11, Paul writes this. I, I write to you my letter, not just, uh, I'm in 5, I want to be in 6, all right? Or, or do you not know, verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves. And then he throws this one in, nor the covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, the simple point I want to make out of this, he said, look, at, that was a pretty good description of your life, but, but now you're different. That's, that was your old life. Now you got a new life. But as we look at God's plan for our life, we need to recognize that there's application for all of us. You were covetous. That's one of the top ten in the Old Testament, isn't it? Thou shalt not covet. You know what covetousness is? I can't even say that word. Uh, I can't cut it off and say it fast. You know what covetousness is? Is that we long for something else other than God to, to satisfy who we really are on the inside. You know, maybe if we were in a small group, I'd, we could take out a piece of paper and write down, what is it in your life that you, if you could say, if, when this happens or if this happens, then I will truly be happy. Or then I will really be satisfied. Now, it's not, it's not wrong to long for certain things to happen, but when your and my happiness, my joy, my sense of purpose is restricted to some things I desperately want to have, then that which I desperately want to have is now an idol in my life, isn't it? 
I, I, I worship whatever that pursuit is. It, it doesn't mean that, that we, we don't give everything we have to whatever we're doing, but, but let's don't make little gods out of this world. And, and so as we think about why be hopeful no matter what is that when some of our dreams aren't happening, some of our desires aren't happening, we need to recognize that and remind ourselves that the, the old life never did work. And isn't that true? The old life never worked. And, and, and pursuing that which becomes a, a God to us because our, our happiness is dependent upon that, that will mess us up. He said that you had enough time to do that, you realize it didn't work, don't go back to that. You, ha- you, you are going through difficult times, but, but don't let that overwhelm you because God has a purpose. Remember the why. He's going to change your character and your suffering is going to be a benefit for, for others. Just a couple more verses. Going back to 1 Peter, you know, Peter continues this theme, hitting them hard because he knows they, they needed to arm themselves. Getting back to that first verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Arm yourself with this. You're in a spiritual battle. Don't go out there with, without anything to protect you and to use you to, to fight that which will be trying to overcome you. Re- recognize that, G- that Jesus suffered and so you can follow his example and he came to so he might deal with the penalty of sin and the power of sin in your life. R- realize that, that God wants you to know that you can be in the will of God when you follow him and, and suffering doesn't cause you to quit. You need to realize that the old life did not work, will never work, so don't go back to it. And then he begins in verse four with these words. In all this, they... Now he's looking about people who are watching this whole challenge of people living out their lives. And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same way, in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. And we'll just stop there, though that's not the end of the sentence. As I looked at that, I put it this way. As we think about being hopeful no matter what, it is to recognize that as we go through life, People are going to recognize that our life has changed. We're not going to always do the same things we used to do. Hopefully that's true. You know, if we also had a piece of paper here, even when you came to know Christ early in life, because there's a progression in how you live, are there some things that are on your I don't do that anymore list? Anybody, anybody have that? Okay, and as you look at it, is there now some things on your list that never used to be there? And hopefully that is true. And hopefully it's going to increase. I'm still trying to be kinder and gentler, all right? That, that's still on my list to be that way. And he said, look, you need to recognize one reason I do this is because it can show how much your life has changed. Now, where I get that from the text is, is they or the people looking at your life, they go, hey, how come you don't do the same things you used to do? I mean, we're still doing them, but you're not doing them. And we need to realize that, that God wants to use our lives as a testimony to others that God can change people. You know, that familiar verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is there, another therefore, I only got 1,039, I've got, now I've used, okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Uh, one of my favorite stories about God changing in life is in Mark chapter 5. I think it's around verse 15. This is the man who was demon possessed. I mean, he was, he was a wild man in so many different ways. 
And when he encountered Jesus, the people around them, it was a significant change. And this was, this was a significant change. They saw this man um, that was uh, filled with uh, demonic influence in his life. They said, look at him. He's clothed and in his right mind. Now, all of you have hit the first part. You're clothed. <laughs> but hopefully we're in our right minds, Right? That our minds are centered on him and we, we think right thoughts. And, and, and if we think right thoughts, we'll make right choices. And when we make right choices, we'll honor Jesus. And, and not only what we think is important, but how we live. And then look at the last two verses real quickly. He said, they, they look at your life, they malign you because they don't feel good about themselves when they know that they're doing things that just destroy them and the people around them. And they want you to be involved in it as well because it, it will now somehow condone what they're doing. He says, but they who are, who are trying to, to draw you into their lifestyle, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now, again, that's kind of a wordy way for Peter to try to close this argument with them. I want you to be hopeful no matter what. I want you to live by faith, not by feeling. I want you to be recognizing there's a why to your life when things around you you can't totally understand but you know who is in control of this whole world and, and who is in control of your life and there's always a purpose for what you're going through. So trust me, be filled with hope because your future is settled. And, and part of it, and I put it this way and it might be stretching a little bit in terms of the point, with specific point, but, but why be hopeful? Because it can help bring people to new life in Christ. And, and the reason I put that because again, they see that the difference in your life and some of it is just not only relates to your actions, but your attitude. But as a person, it's always hopeful. And, and, and sometimes it's much more a bubbly hope, and sometimes it's, a, it's just a holding on for dear life hope. But they're confident that this life has purpose no matter what. And the only explanation is that they realize their life is, is being governed by a living God whom they're going to give an account to. And, and, and maybe if that's working for them, maybe I, ought, maybe I ought to think about it. Maybe that can work for me. Because everyone is going to be held accountable to God. For the gospel has been, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Is, is this, is this uh, people getting a second chance in some holding place where the gospel is preached again and then they respond? I don't think so. Uh, there's a couple ways to take this. So, you know, one is that he, he's talking about anyone who responds to the message of Christ, whatever age it was, whether it's an early age or later on in life, when you're presented with the words of life, at that point, you are spiritually dead. And it doesn't mean you're not breathing, but you don't have a life with God. You're separated from him. And when it's preached to you and, you're, and you embrace it by faith, and now you who are dead are now made alive in Christ. And I think that's a, a great way to take that. Another way to take that is he's saying, look at, as I'm writing this letter to you, and I'm just in a few moments going to tell you the end of all things is near, well, what about the people who, who were followers of Jesus and they're not around anymore? What about the people who have already died? And, and I think that's another legitimate way to take this. Look at, the, the, 
the gospel is preached to those who are dead. And I've got people in my relational world in the past that, that are no longer with us today. And they heard the message of Christ. And they responded to the message of Christ by faith. And because they responded to the message of Christ by faith, I don't look at them as dead now. They're dead in terms, I don't have a physical presence with them, but they're more alive now than they've ever been before. Isn't that true? If we really believe what the Bible says is that we're alive physically now, but when we die and we're in the presence of God, we're going to be more alive than we've ever been before. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, but actually to die is gain because it's going to be much better when I get there. But if that's not God's plan for me, that's not God's will for me, then right now I want to stay here because I want to do what God wants me to do. And I'm, I'm here to, to, to be a blessing and reach out to others around me. So don't try to leave this place before God wants you to leave this place, right? There, there, there's no reason for that. God wants you to be here to represent him well. And so Peter's right said, I know some of the people I preach that gospel, that they're dead now. They're not physically alive, but they are, they are alive in the spirit in the presence of God. So what's the point this morning? <laughs> do, do, you, do you want to be hopeful? Do, do you want to believe that, that, that God is not finished with you yet, no matter how much pain or frustration or challenge you're going through, that, that God has a why for you? The why we go through things that we don't understand is because God has a purpose. And that purpose is to shape our character and allow our lives to be lights for others to see Jesus in us no matter what we're going through. Where people see that our joy is in him. Our, our confidence is in him. Our hope is in him. It's a living hope in the midst of of whatever we're going through. But we only experience that when we choose by faith to trust him. To say, my life is yours. Help me respond in faith filled with a living hope no matter what. Let's pray. Our Father, as, uh, as I preach this, I, I hope everybody realizes I not only preach it to everyone here and online, but I preach it to myself as well. There are times, let's just be honest, we all want to just, we want to just give in. We're, we're tired of, of things that just uh, cause us to, to be exhausted, to, to be weary, to... To, to focus on our misery rather than your plan for our life. But Father, the good news is that there's a reason for us to go through what we, we go through, even though we don't understand it, because you have a much bigger plan, a much bigger purpose. And Father, we do pray for anyone here or online that, that hasn't made that first step to you, that they might recognize that, that God loves them, we're in a mess because of our own sin and the sin around us. But Jesus came to clean up that mess. And when we choose to trust you and commit and submit our lives to you, that's when life really changes.
because you come in and we now have an opportunity to, to live life, trust in you, allowing your life to live its life out through us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.